so thankful once again to be here with you at the Ringgold Seventh-day Adventist Church to experience once again the fellowship uh, in the spirit and your wonderful, uh, warm smiles. I love this church. And I'm very thankful for Elder Sarah Young and uh, her having invited me back and uh, for your new pastor, Pastor Hudson, who uh, has allowed me to stand here in this pulpit. Thank you so much, uh, Ronald, uh, for that beautiful, wasn't that beautiful? So uh, meditative and uh, a reflection. Shall we gather at the river? He ended with that one. Because we know that soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. I thank God once again for my, my chauffeur this morning, my husband of 40 years. Um, we just celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary on October 22. Uh, he used to get teased by his friends saying that was the great disappointment. And he had to remind them, he said, it depends on how you look at that. Because that was the day Jesus went into the most holy place as well. So let the church say amen. <laughs> so I'm thankful uh, to have him here with me. Uh, you all know he is retired. Uh, he retired from the Pacific Union Conference about seven years ago. And so now he comes with me when I, when I speak. And he does still speak uh, occasionally as well. Let us bow our heads for prayer as we uh, consider the subject, and the place was shaken, and the place was shaken. Let us pray. Father, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross of Jesus Christ I cling. I pray, Lord, for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit as we hunger and thirst for a latter rain experience. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen and amen. And the place was shaken. You heard in, in your hearing, it uh, was read, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And so I'm going to continue a few more verses in uh, Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 7. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya, around Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own language, in our tongue, the wonderful works of God. Now, this is a very familiar passage, and uh, we often focus on different things in this passage. I'm going to not focus on one thing, but I do want to say, want to ask a rhetorical question this morning. What were they saying? We don't usually talk about what they were saying during that time. We often focus on, on the fact that they came from different parts of the then known world and they heard in their own language 
But I, I haven't heard a lot about what they were saying. What were they talking about? What were they doing? They were, the Bible says that they were speaking the wonderful works of God. They were testifying. And, I, you know, you, you all know that I testify a lot. <laughs> so, you know, I don't speak without doing that. But, you know, can you imagine them being there for that event? And they were coming together and they were receiving the gift of tongues, whoever was speaking, they were, were receiving the gift of other languages so that the people who came from around the then known world could hear the testimony about what God was doing in all those parts. They were testifying of the goodness of God, talking about what he was doing in their lives. And what a privilege we have as the people of God to tell people it's, it's the gospel in living color when you talk about what God is doing. And so they were there, and there in Acts chapter 2 where the people were, the Holy Spirit fell, and the Bible says that it was so loud. Now, you know that my people tend to be loud, and maybe some other people tend to be quiet, but it's okay. You know, we have different cultures, right? Everybody doesn't have to be loud like me, okay? And, uh, you know, I, I, I attended uh, Broadview Academy. Anybody here familiar with Broadview Academy? Broadview Academy, very conservative, you know. And I would sit in church. Elder Richard Hobbinick was our campus pastor. And there were about uh, maybe about 10 African-American students at the time when I was there in the 70s. And I would sit in church every Sabbath and weep, just cry. He was, so, he was a very quiet man, but he was so powerful. He was so anointed and full of the Spirit. And he would speak, and I would just weep because I would just feel the presence of God. That's my response to the presence of God, is, is, is weeping sometimes. And But here, and this was the birth of the Christian church. This is when the Christian church was born here in Acts 2. And the Bible says that the, the, when the Spirit fell, he was so loud that they could hear him. They said, and she just read it, it was like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. That the people were saying, what on earth is going on in there. Isn't that the way that the church should be nowadays? From the perspective of the spirit should be so evident that the community around here should be asking, what's going on there at the Ringgold Seventh-day Adventist Church? I feel... Uh, a presence of the Spirit coming from that, that location there. And I want to know what's going on there. You know, I, I, I love this church so much. And as I look out here, there are more people here than in some of our larger churches. I think the Spirit of God is so evident here. 
I feel his presence when I come here. And I love that when you have your praise and share, that you pray for the request right then and there. Because sometimes when we say, when people ask us to pray, sometimes we forget, don't we? I love that about my church. During our prayer meeting time, we spend from 7 to 8.30 in prayer meeting. The first hour is spent in giving prayer requests and praying for each one that is given. An entire hour is so rich because prayer is the breath of the soul. And so here when the church was born and the Holy Spirit fell and the gift of tongues was demonstrated and they were testifying of the goodness of God, the inception of the church was recorded here. Do you remember when Jesus ran the merchants out And I did not even record the scripture here, so please forgive me. But when he ran the merchants and the money changers out of the temple, he did it because they had come right into the outer court where the Gentiles had gathered to pray. Because you see, the Gentiles were not allowed to go into the temple at that time. And so there they were in the outer court. That was their place to pray. And so it wasn't so much that it was the business uh, in the church that, that Christ was, was unsettled with because those people were supposed to be there. The people had to pay the temple tax. They had to, to change funds. And I, I believe that they were buying animals to sacrifice even. And so they were in the right place, but perhaps for the wrong reason. Sometimes we can come and our, our intention is not necessarily to worship. Maybe sometimes our intention is because it's a routine and because he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And so sometimes we can get caught up in the routine of, of religiosity and not really come for the right reason. So it's not necessarily just about doing the right thing, but it's what's in our hearts. It's for the right reason. And I'm just so thankful that when I come here, I just sense that you all are here for the right reason, amen? To worship God. There are smiles on your face. You're welcoming us when we come in. In the right place for the right reason. In that text of scripture where it's talking about uh, the money changers and the merchants there, he says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all people, for everybody, even though they wouldn't let the Gentiles in the temple. Something a little bit wrong with that, right? All of us who are, are, are here in church should be here to rub shoulders with one another. You know, I was having a conversation with my husband. We were talking about Sabbath and how that sometimes we associate Sabbath with church and it's not necessarily just church. If you look at the way the Jews did it they and do it, 
they actually do it correctly. They meet on Friday evening. They welcome the Sabbath with their families, right? So Sabbath, I believe personally, was designed to be kept in the home, honored in the home, and celebrated at church. And so we come here and we rub shoulders and we, we encourage one another because no man is an island. We, we need each other. And so when I come here and I feel welcome and I see your smiles, that does me good. We're, we're, we're doing this together. It's not just uh, something that we come and it's a ritual. No, we come for corporate worship. And the, the servant of the Lord speaks of the fact that the latter rain may fall in a corporate setting when we're together some of these times, worshiping together, praying together. When we were in pastoral ministry together, my husband and I, every church he pastored, he always had all-night prayer meetings. And I believe, babe, you, you would do them like once a quarter or something like that. And we would pray all night long. Every hour there would be a short uh, sermonette speaker. We would spend a lot of time in, in prayer and we would uh, sing and there may be a special music and we would just call on the name of the Lord and invoke his presence among us. We are in the last days and we are coming to a time where just spending a few minutes is not enough. It's not enough. And as I speak, I am also listening. This is for me because I'm going to just confess. Confession is good for the soul. I mentioned to Sarah, I said, Sarah, please pray for me this week. It, it, was, a, it, was, a, 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 it was a different kind of a week. It was one of those kind of weeks. And I was just distracted and, and, and I was tired and fatigued and I couldn't get my mind together. And I, I just didn't know what was going to happen today. But I called upon the name of the Lord, and I, we were in worship on Thursday. And I texted Sarah. I said, Sarah, I think God has spoken to me. And I, 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 I think he has a word for the people. We are living in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, didn't God say in the book of Exodus, he said to Moses, let them build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And it was during the time when they would carry the, the tabernacle around. You know, you had the, the, the holy place and the most holy place and, and, and the people counted it to be holy. And, you know, that, that was during the, the dispensation where before Christ had come. But we are now living in the dispensation where he has come. The, the, the temple, that curtain was rent. And, the, you know, the spirit of God, he said, when he left, he came and he left. And he said, I'm going to leave you the Holy Ghost. And we know that the Holy Ghost is our, the guarantee of our salvation. That we can't get out of here without him. And sometimes I think, you know, in our culture, as, as Adventists, we may may you know, consider the Holy Ghost as with the Pentecostals. Well, yes, and we are Pentecostals in that way. 
Because the Spirit of God, he left the Spirit of God. He no longer lives in, 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 in temples of brick and stone. I steal so many things from my husband. I've been listening to him preach for so long. He's sitting there saying, she got that from me. I did. We, we no longer live in, in temples of brick and stone. We now live in temples of flesh and bone. What does Paul say in Corinthians? He says, what? Know ye not that your, temp, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? We have the privilege of having him to live in us. And I often find myself saying to the Lord, Lord, you know, I, 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 I am no longer satisfied with you just coming to visit. I want you to live in my temple. I want you to come and stay. But we know that he cannot stay in our temples when our temples are, 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 are so wayward. I'm not saying we have to be perfect. But if we're just, you know, watching whatever we want to watch, and I'm convicted right now as I'm saying this, we can't just eat whatever we want to eat. We must honor him in our temples, but we can't do it without the anointing. We cannot do it without the Holy Ghost. If the church started with the Holy Ghost, how do we think we're going to continue? How do we think we're going to make it without him? We must ask for him. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. I, I can remember when I was young, and uh, sometimes our food would be low, and sometimes we would have to come together as a family, and my parents would come together, and they would say, come on, children, Put your finger on this text, Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. Verse 7 says, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son ask bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask him? So for many years, I read that passage of scripture, and I thought that it was talking about temporal blessings. Now, there is nothing wrong with asking for temporal blessings. In fact, we should ask for things that we need. He tells us that if we have a need, that we should go to him and we should ask him for the things that we need. But this particular verse was not talking about temporal blessings. I stumbled upon, many years ago, stumbled upon a different rendition of that same text in Luke's version of that text, in Luke chapter 11. Very same text. Ask and it shall be given you, right? Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. But when Luke gets down to verse 13, he says this. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, watch this now, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I said, oh, 
now I see what he was really talking about. He was not talking about those temporal things that we need because we do understand that even before we ask that he knows what we need. The greatest need we have and the greatest prayer we can ever pray is for the Holy Spirit. We need him now more than we've ever needed him before. And I know that from experience because I try so hard to do the right thing and I often fall short most of the time. We cannot do it on our own. We need the Spirit of God to come and to live in us and to give us the power to overcome the weights and the sins that does so easily beset us. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John went before the priests for preaching about the resurrection, if you go to, to, to uh, chapter 4 of, of Acts, it talks about that time when they were preaching. They were preaching their hearts out and they were preaching the truth about the resurrection and, and the state of the dead and, and they were arrested. And they were questioned about why they had done this and whose name they had come. And the Bible says in verses 8 through 10, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we have done a good deed for a crippled man? See, they were picking on them because they had demonstrated these, these rare gifts that had been given to them. And they say, it says, let me clearly state to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene the man whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. And in the verses following, it says that although they knew that Peter and John had no special training in the scriptures, they were not preachers, they had not gone to the seminary at Andrews University, they didn't, did not have all of this, these credentials, but the Bible says that they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Is that how you're known? I mean, I, I, I would love to, be, to be, be associated with Christ in such a way that when people are around me, that they know at least that I just love him with all my heart. I may not act like it all the time, but I love him with all my heart. And the Bible says they warned them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they replied in verse 20. I want to have this kind of holy boldness that you get from the anointing. They said in verse, verse 20, we will not stop speaking the things which we have seen and heard. You can arrest us. You can do whatever you want to do with us. But we will continue speaking the truth, and we will continue 
talking about the wonderful works of God. How is it going to be for us in the last days when they are threatening to arrest us and to kill us? And if we don't have the anointing, see, we can say, we, you know, we can say now, you know, I'm going to stand up for God. I'm going to, I'm going to speak for him even in, in the face of death. But if you are not truly connected with him and you don't truly have the anointing of the spirit of God in you, you may give up on that day to save your life. They say we will not stop. We will continue. And if you notice that when they, in the Bible days, when Paul and all of them, when they were put in prison, they never prayed to get out of prison. They didn't pray to get out of their circumstance. Many times we don't want to go through because we are human and we don't want to go through those hard times. And so we spend a lot of time praying for God to get us out of circumstances. What we really need to pray for is the anointing for the spirit of God to go through it. Because then if he wills that we get out of it, he's going to let us out of the situation. And as people watch us and see how we handle the trials that we're going through, see, we can help other people when we're anointed by the spirit of God. I can remember, you know, and you all have to forgive me, I've only been here once in, in your pulpit and sometimes when I tell stories I don't remember which ones I've told so you know they're, they're, they're good and sometimes worth repeating but when we were, were, were married maybe about 10 years and we were pastoring uh, in the seaside area that's uh, in fact is where uh, it is written is this weekend for their partnership weekend in fact the hotel that they're in we could see from the place where we lived when we lived in that, in that area. We were pastoring during that time, and it was during the time that our children, all of our children were at home. And uh, if you know anything uh, about our background, which we haven't talked about today, we have eight children. We have 30 grandchildren, and we have 17 great-grandchildren. And this was during the time I had married my husband, his wife had left him with raising six children alone while he was studying ministry at Oakwood. And I came along and discovered him, hallelujah, uh, to the glory of God. He has been just an amazing life companion to me. And, you know, with his flexible schedule in ministry, even though he worked hard, he worked hard. He went to prison visiting people. He counseled people during the week. He prayed on the phone with people. And still now, he spends three, three or four hours sometimes uh, praying with people in his retirement years. And we were there during that time. I gave him two more children. He had three boys and three girls, a perfect Brady Bunch. And and then we got married, and I, and, and I gave him two more daughters. Our oldest is 54, and the youngest is 34. She was born on our wedding anniversary, and so she just turned 34 on October 22. God has been good to us. During those times, we had all the children at home. And our oldest daughter at the time had had a baby, and you can imagine with all the kids at home and everything that was happening, it, there were some frustrating times. 
And I had stumbled upon a, vo a verse in the scriptures, Psalms 119, 165. And it says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And I began to pray and ask God. I said, Lord, I need that experience. Please help me because I would sometimes get frustrated with the kids and and, and, I, and my husband would say to me, you know, sometimes I would raise my voice and he would say, babe, you know, let's just pray, you know. He was so patient and so kind and he did most of the cleaning for most of our marriage. He, in, in every way he could, he showed me how much he appreciated my coming in, helping him to raise the children and walking alongside him in ministry. He did everything he could do to lighten my load. That's why I don't look like I had that many children <laughs> and, 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 and been married as long as I've been. Honestly, he did everything he could do to lighten my load. And so there we were. I, I had prayed that prayer and I said, Lord, I don't want to be impatient with the children. Please help me. And so one particular Sabbath morning, we got ready to go to church, and the oldest girl who had had a baby out of wedlock, and she was there. She was frustrated, too, and she was fixing breakfast for the baby, what have you, and I, I don't know, we got, we had a, a little altercation. I had asked her to do something, and she kind of snapped at me. Now, mind you, we're only nine years apart. <laughs> and my husband, he, he looks very young. He's 77, and he looks very young. So, But um, she was frustrated. I was frustrated, and we had a little argument that Sabbath morning. And so here I am, the pastor's wife. We have to go to church and smile. And so I went to church, and I was sitting there on the pew. My husband began to preach, and I was really frustrated. And the Lord began to speak to me, and he said to me, he said, you know that text in Psalms 119, 165, you've been praying and asking me, Lord, I need patience with the children, you know, long-suffering, so that I won't be offended. I said, yes, Lord. He said, I am going to give you that experience. I'm looking around. I'm like, huh? <laughs> he said, you've been praying for that. He said, I'm going to give you that experience. And he said, but before I do, I need to let you know you've been praying the wrong prayer. Oh, really, Lord? Yes. He said, I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Now, I'm sitting here having a conversation with God. Isn't he a mighty? He's just wonderful. He deals with us. He meets us where we are. My husband is preaching, and God is speaking to me. Galatians 5, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. He said, you've been asking for one of the fruit when you can have the whole package. 
All you need is the anointing. All you need is the indwelling of Christ. And hence, one of my favorite passages in the book Desire of Ages, which is my favorite Spirit of Prophecy publication, on page 324, where she says, the only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in his righteousness. That's the Holy Spirit, people. That's the Spirit of God. That's the anointing. He says, she says, the only way you can overcome is to have the Spirit of God in you. And I contend that it will take more than just him coming to visit. We have got to make room for him by praying and asking God to kick out all of those all of that stuff in us that inhibits the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want him. I want him to take control. And so I ask him, I do ask him. I get distracted sometimes. And then sometimes I don't ask him. We cannot do this by ourselves. We must pray and we must not just pray asking him for things. We must pray and we must beg him for the indwelling of his presence because that power, he says, that we shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Many times even our, our witness it's not a strong witness because we try to do it without the anointing. We need him. And we, we, we must always be aware of our need for him. Don't ever think you can do this alone. Just having the truth, just observing the Sabbath, just eating veggie links. Come on now. Sometimes we can get a little beside ourselves and a little too happy with ourselves because of what God has given us. And isn't it rich what he's given us? In the book Steps to Christ, in the, in the Privilege of Prayer, she talks a little about how, you know, the angels are just amazed at how much we really need God and how little we pray. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And when they had prayed, Peter and John, going back to, the, to that story. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. I say they were all in the right place at the right time. Hence, this, these kinds of gatherings where we come together, one day, the Spirit of God, the anointing of the latter rain may fall on us in one of these gatherings. Hallelujah. I 
want to be where prayer is want to be made. I decided that when I was a young girl. My father, you see, who died an Adventist pastor at the age of 54, his heart having exploded in his chest, he didn't have two seconds to say anything, but he died while he was praying. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a way to go. As a child, I always knew, and he would always tell us, unless the house is on fire, please don't approach my prayer chamber. And we always knew that early in the morning, he was in prayer. And this particular morning that he died, was like no other except this. He got up and he, he went into prayer and he worshiped God and the spirit of the Lord fell upon him. How do I know? He woke my mother up, which he had never done. They had been married 33 years. My mother married him at age 15. She was 49 when he died. And this particular morning, he woke her up. She said, you've never awakened me during your worship. He said, yes, he said, but he said, glory was all around me. She said, okay, it was just strange to her, you know. And so she said to him, he, was, he said, I'm going out on the patio and to, to uh, walk around and get some exercise, and he put his uh, sweatsuit on, and she said, where's my hug? And he embraced her for the last time. And that's where she found him, laying on his back with his eyes open. A church member, he was pastoring a district, and he was pastoring a church in Battle Creek, Michigan. And a church member called to speak to him. So she goes out on the patio to get him, and that's where she found him, lifeless. But can you ask for anything more? It was traumatic. I was very close to my dad. That's why I hyphenate my name. But he died in his prayer chamber, in worship to God. I said, God, I have no problem with this. He taught me how to build a prayer altar when I was five years old. And he said to me, I wondered why he took, I'm the youngest of five, and he took some, a little special care with me on a spiritual level. And he said to me, he said this to me, he said, I kind of got an inkling that you would be wayward. I was like, oh. Really? He said, he said, I, 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 I felt like I needed to do something with you. Why? I don't know. But I thank God that I didn't really get to know. I wasn't perfect. But God protected me from a lot of things. I grew up in the inner city of Chicago. And although I went to church school, they were, we were all in, in the inner city. And the influence was there. I thank God to this very day for my father teaching me 
the most important discipline that he could have taught me. The most important thing that anybody in this room could ever learn to do is to pray. It is our connection with heaven. It is our connection with God. It is our connection with the Holy Spirit. In Desire of Ages, she goes beyond that. And, and this is what she says. Listen to this. This is powerful. When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural work bringing a supernatural element into human nature. The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world, and he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. A soul thus kept in possession by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. That's powerful. But unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. We must inevitably be under the control of the one or the other of the two great powers that are contending for the supremacy of the world. It is not necessary for us deliberately to choose the service of the kingdom of darkness in order to come under its dominion. You don't have to say, I choose Satan. But if you do not ally yourself with Christ, with the kingdom of light, if we do not cooperate with the heavenly agencies, Satan will take possession of the heart and will make it his ab abiding place. Lord have mercy. I don't want him in here. But in order to keep him out, the spirit of God has got to be in here. We may leave off many bad habits. For a time, we may part company with Satan, but without a vital connection with God, through the surrender of ourselves to him, moment by moment, we shall be overcome. Without a personal acquaintance with Christ and a continual communion, we are at the mercy of the enemy and shall do his bidding in the end. Lord, help us. As I prepare to close, Ronald, I'm going to ask you, would you mind play, playing softly, uh, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, uh, or, or anything of your, your choosing very softly as I prepare to close? I'm going back to the, to the story where I was sitting in the church and the Spirit of God began to speak to me and told me I was praying the wrong prayer. So at that point, I decided, okay, I need to start praying for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I need to ask for him to come in. And so I began to pray that prayer. Sometimes I fell off the bandwagon, but... 
He would always remind me, you remember that time when you were sitting in church that Sabbath? And so I begin to pray again, Lord, fill me with your holy presence. As the time passed and the children began to grow and we went to another church and life happened, I discovered that he had kept his promise to me. Those things that would frustrate me so bad that would make me raise my voice, those things became less and less and less. And then I said, Lord, I thank you because I feel more of your presence, but Lord, I need you even more. Because I, 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 I'm still a sinner and I still experience frustration and in depression, impression without expression equals depression. You know, if I'm just keeping it in and I'm not really letting it go and giving it to you. I remember one time I had gotten upset at my husband and I was kind of reading him his rights and from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And he looked at me and he said to me, I'll never forget this, and I talk about it all the time. We were living in Seaside on Hilby Street, and we were in the bedroom. And he looked at me and he said, okay. He said, so I messed up. He said, how do you think God feels about me right now? And I, I fell out laughing. I started laughing because it was so the truth. Isn't that how God looks at us? It's hard to have a problem with people when you see them through the eyes of God. And you can only see them through the eyes of God when you have the anointing. The church started with the Holy Ghost. The people were praying and waiting on him to arrive. And I do believe that that is the way the church will end. And so today, I want to do something a little different. It may make you feel a little uncomfortable, but it's what the Spirit has placed upon my heart. I would like for us to have what you call a Pentecostal prayer where we all pray out loud for the Holy Spirit. I will begin, but then I will move away from the mic because I want everyone who would like to participate. And even if your lips are just moving, there's no pressure here. But I'd like for all of us at the same time to call upon the name of the Lord and ask him for the Holy Spirit. And so I begin. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray first for the forgiveness of sin. There's anything in me, Lord, that is unlike you. I pray that you remove it now in the name of Jesus. And I ask that you would anoint me 
with your holy presence, oh God. I present before you, Lord, this entire congregation and anyone who would like to join me as we open our mouths to ask you for the anointing of your presence. Lord, we can't do it without you. We cannot live this life without you. Lord, please come. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, sweet spirit, we pray. Come and anoint us in your own special way. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, use us, fill us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, Lord, we pray. We need you, Lord. If we ever needed you before, we need you. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Thank you for stopping by the Ringo Church this morning. And as we go down from this place, we pray we will ever be determined to beg you each day for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church said together, amen, amen. And amen.